So, man plans and the gods laugh. We have all these shows lined up, and then a thermonuclear bomb of irradiating political correctness lands on the American, if not worldwide, political landscape. So we take arms against a sea of lies and attempt to oppose them. Donald Trump recently published a statement regarding Muslim immigration on his website. And the liberal media and liberals in general did, you know, a fairly good uh, scanner-style splody head. Now, Donald Trump's statement read, quote, Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what is going on. According to Pew Research, among others, there is great hatred towards Americans by large segments of the Muslim population. Most recently, a poll from the Center for Security Policy released data showing 25% of those polled agreed that violence against Americans here in the United States is justified as part of the global jihad. And 51% of those polled, quote, agreed that Muslims in America should have the choice of being governed according to Sharia. Sharia authorizes such atrocities as murder against non-believers who won't convert, beheadings, and more unthinkable acts that pose great harm to Americans, especially women. Mr. Trump stated, quote, Without looking at the various polling data, it is obvious to anyone. The hatred is beyond comprehension. Where this hatred comes from and why, we will have to determine. Until we are able to determine and understand this problem and the dangerous threat it poses, our country cannot be the victim of horrendous attacks by people that believe only in jihad and have no sense of reason or respect for human life. If I win the election for president, we are going to make America great again. Now, you may have heard a little bit about what this means from people who don't seem to understand what it means. The mainstream media erupted with reports that Trump's proposal is probably unconstitutional. Constitutional scholars that were quoted, but not entirely sure. Remember, this is the mainstream media that is very focused on the Second Amendment, the right to have and bear arms, because, see, that's a constitutional right they'd never want to interfere with. So their sudden defense of the Constitution to protect a Democrat voting base seems a little precious, to say the least. Quick question. Do you think that the Constitution in America applies to non-citizens? Well, the unbiased media twisted the story, presented it as if Trump wants to ban Muslim U.S. servicemen from returning to the country. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. Does that sound ambiguous? I guess it is, unless you happen to read the title of the statement, which was Donald J. Trump's statement on preventing Muslim immigration. See, if you're a U.S. citizen and you're returning to the United States, you're not migrating. You're not, you may be a jihadist, but you're certainly not an immigrant. You are not an asylee. You are not a refugee. And that's because apparently reading the big print at the top is quite difficult for a lot of people in the media. Now, people said, ah, you see, but if we ban Muslim immigration, it's going to discourage Muslims from helping us catch potential terrorists. Really? Unfortunately, uh, well, fortunate for, fortunately for reality, a former FBI counterterrorism agent told journalists that since 9-11, quote, we, the FBI, collectively have received nearly zero help from the Muslim community. He also added that Muslim community leaders only, quote, give the air as if they are helping. So it's a little tough to say we're not going to get the help that we're already not getting if you're in the FBI. Now, the Muslim experiment as a whole, the first generation 
assimilated fairly well, the Muslims who came into America and the West in the 50s and 60s. They, of course, would be the brightest and best, and because of regression to the mean, their children are very unlikely to be as intelligent and cosmopolitan as they are. For instance, in 2014, the British Independent reported, quote, young British Muslims whose families have lived in the UK for generations are more at risk of radicalization than recent migrants to Britain. And uh, that's according to new research which reveals the common characteristic of those most vulnerable to recruitment by terrorists. So, you know, the original idea of come and assimilate didn't always necessarily take into account the massive web of social media by which you can bring, say, a medieval bubble of living hell with you to the new country and you don't really have to assimilate. Also, when there was no welfare, you had to economically integrate into the country. Now you can stay in a little bubble of money sucked out of the domestic population and apply to you to be alienated and upset. So this is liberal logic in a nutshell. Obama says, uh, hey, it's really important. You've got to take away guns from law-abiding Americans. Deny them the Second Amendment rights just on the off chance that they might commit some kind of mass murder. Trump says, I want to halt Muslims from immigrating into the country because we can't vet them properly on the off chance that they just might commit mass murder. Well, uh... One is definitely a violation of the Constitution, the other is not. Which do you think the liberals are bothered by? I mean, good heavens, people. The government can't even keep drugs out of prisons. How on earth is it going to keep jihadists out of America? Impossible! I mean, no one can seriously argue that America should knowingly admit more jihadists. Now, if not... If you don't think it's a good idea to bring more jihadists into America, well, it follows that until and unless someone can be sure that you're not bringing jihadists is, particularly from nations with a tradition of Islamic supremacism, well, it kind of makes sense, you know. If you don't know, let's, let's say a big bowl of M&Ms and say 25% of the M&Ms are poisonous or 1% of the M&Ms were poisonous in the bowl. You know what might be a good idea? Stop eating M&Ms! And those Muslims in America who don't want to live under a Sharia-based society should also welcome the pause in immigration because it will reduce the number of actual or potential jihadists who were already there. See, there's this basic, you know, funny thing about war. You know, it's, it's just something to remember about war. When you're at war with a particular group, Kind of important not to let, say, 72% of people coming into the country be military-aged people from the people you're at war with. ISIS has already said they're going to use the Syrian refugee crisis to infiltrate the West. So, sorry, that's the way it works. You know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, when America was at war with three countries, uh, Italy and Germany and Japan, do you know what he said? Let's not bring any military-aged young men and women, or anyone for that matter, from, I don't know, let's say, Italy, Germany and Japan. How can this not be common sense? Now people say, ah, this proposed policy is biased and unconstitutional. Hey, <laughs> I got a funny thought. You know what else is unconstitutional? Sharia law is unconstitutional. Uh, you know, say, if you're in the Sharia law country and you hand out something that says, I like Jesus, you can go to jail for five years. That's kind of against freedom of speech. Uh, I myself used to be a Christian, no longer a Christian. You know what the Christians didn't do? Kill me. That's kind of nice. See, the penalty for apostasy in Islam is death. The penalty for apostasy in uh, Christianity is you feel mildly awkward singing Christmas carols. And that's about it. Mwah! Love you, Christians.
all is forgiven. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so they say, oh, it's un-American. Well, of course, it's uh, primarily directed towards non-citizens who are not entitled to U.S. constitutional protections. Travel restrictions? Yeah, restrictions being placed on U.S. citizens traveling to Cuba, North Korea, North Vietnam, Iran, and none of those governments actually conspired to attack U.S. civilians. So people say, ah, well, you see, it's biased towards Muslims. Well, there's an answer to that. What about shutting down all immigration? Just putting it out there. I'm not a policy wonk. I'm just putting it out there. Class, please discuss. I mean, immigrants to the United States can't possibly be coming to work. Not all of them. Because more legal immigrants have entered the U.S. in the last eight years than all of the jobs created. And that doesn't even count the millions and millions of illegal immigrants. And people still repeating this thing. Oh, well, what about the 3,500 Muslim Americans who are serving in the military? Can they come back? Well, of course they can. They're citizens. Although, to be fair, a couple of dozen American servicemen were killed by Muslims serving in the military who decided to get all jihadists on it. Uh, Trump did say that those who go fight for ISIS can't come back. And anybody who disagrees with that, (sighs) I don't know what to say to you. Because it's important to remember, Islam is not just a religion. It's a governance structure. It's a form of government. Like, communism is not just an economic philosophy. It's a form of government. So that's kind of important. One of the reasons why Buddhists come in is that Buddhism is not a style of government. Neither is Zoroastrian and so on. Islam, because there's very little separation between state and religion, uh, that is not really uh, just a religion. It's a form of government. So you're inviting people in who 25% are willing to use violence to establish a dictatorial form of government that will persecute the vast majority of the domestic population. Hmm. Didn't they do that in the 1920s? One of the reasons America shut down immigration in the 1920s was because of all of the communists coming in and people not wanting to end up in gulags. And look, you've got to admire the genius of Donald Trump. He says, let's keep the Muslims out until we fix the problem. And the left says, well, keeping them out isn't going to fix the problem. Bingo! You just admitted there was a problem. And people start to talk about the domestic radicalization, particularly of young Muslims. And look, it's the moderate Muslims who should be the most accepting of this kind of proposal. Look, it's the children of the moderate Muslims who are being recruited to become Uh, ISIS, jihadists, and so on by the imported terrorists, so they should kind of be relatively welcoming of that. There's a lot of people who like Trump who, you you know, the liberals think shouldn't like Trump. One of the reasons that Hispanics like Trump is they don't want six million Mexicans following them into America and turning it into Mexico. They left Mexico. Not such a big fan. Blacks like Trump because by keeping out or exporting illegal immigrants, he's going to drive up the wages of the poorest people who tend to be blacks. Now, Switching gears for just a moment, and if you don't like the yelly stuff, you feel free to turn this off now, because I am going to shock and appall you, and not by whispering. So, basic thing in uh, morality, which is kind of universal, right? Like, if I say everyone should have the Second Amendment except blacks, well, that obviously would be racist towards blacks, because I'm saying a universal, then I'm create an exception. When you create an exception, you reveal your bigotry. So when it comes to securing borders and protecting domestic culture and protecting the way of life and protecting cultural identity and so on, every time white people try to do it, everyone goes mad. They go completely insane. Uh, And I was going to say every time that Christians do it, but of course there are lots of secular nations, largely secular nations in Europe, uh, and any time they try to do it, everyone calls them racists and so on. Okay, so that's a universal thing. Anyone who tries to close borders, deport domestic um, 
uh, illegal immigrants and so on. Uh, it must be racist. It must be horrible human beings. It uh, must be bigoted and a kind of like the Nazis. So with that standard in mind, which is what white nations hear all the time, let's turn to our good friends in Israel. So 1954, Israel passed a law that defined foreigners entering the country illegally as infiltrators. The bill also authorized the government to detain and deport said infiltrators. This law is still in effect and the Israeli government and media continue to refer to illegal immigrants in Israel as infiltrators. Now, of course, the original purpose of the law, what was it about? Interestingly, it was about preventing the uh, the entry of Palestinian refugees and allow for their deportation due to fears of terrorism. Huh. I wonder what that... Is there a parallel? Is there some kind of... What am I not getting? Some sort of parallel. Anyway, let me know in the comments below. I can't quite make that connection, but some kind of parallel here too. Now, beginning in the second half of the 2000s, Israel was facing large waves of immigration from African countries. There were 55,000 infiltrators as of January 2012. Now, remember, of course, Israel is a little over 8 million people, so the equivalent in the U.S. would be about 2.2 million immigrants. Now, the Africans said, well, we need to get sort of a refugee from, we were refugees from civil wars, persecution, terrorism, economic collapse, and so on. But the Jews didn't really like the influx of a largely Muslim population. So since 1949, quick question, uh, what do you think? Since 1949, Israel has granted refugee status to how many people? That answer would be 170. Only only 70 of those people still live in Israel today. For comparison, for decades, the United States has taken in far more refugees than the entire rest of the world combined. Nearly half of those refugees taken in are Muslims. So Israel takes no Muslims and drives them back out of the country. And uh, that's fine. In fact, did you even know that? Of course not. It's not reported. White countries decided to do it evil. Now, in May 2012, several African men sexually assaulted an Israeli woman. And two days later, two African immigrants were arrested for raping a 15-year-old girl during the previous month. A third man held the girl's boyfriend forcing him to helplessly watch this savage crime. Unlike similar and escalating crimes in, say, Sweden, these arrests sparked a major outcry amongst the Israeli population. Protests were held calling for the deportation of all illegal immigrants, and some even threw molotov cocktails at their African targets. Did the media report this? Did you know about this? Imagine if this had happened in America. There was a bunch of Pakistani men who were routinely grooming and raping uh, hundreds of little girls in England, Uh, And uh, basically, this was generally kind of hushed up. People didn't want to prosecute for fear of uh, appearing racist. (sighs) Israel's police chief commented on the role of immigrants in a rising crime wave. Quote, every time I come here to these African populated neighborhoods, I see the numbers keep growing. They have caused the surge in crime. Israeli media outlets even quoted unnamed officials claiming that 40% of Tel Aviv's crimes were committed by black, most likely Muslim, African infiltrators. And the Israeli government took action to stem the flow of illegal immigrants in the country. Now, it gets worse on two particular layers of hell. Now, there was barely any mention in Western media of how the Africans were treated by the Israelis. The Huffington Post contributor summarized Israeli illegal immigrant policies in this way. Quote, 
After building a fence on Israel's border with the African continent to prevent any further entry by asylum seekers, the government began rounding up those already living in Israel and sticking them in containment centers to be detained there indefinitely. The stated intention of these Spartan camps is to sap the Africans of any hope of achieving freedom in Israel so that they will give up and grudgingly agree to go back to the horrors they fled from. Netanyahu's, as the Prime Minister, justification for their draconian treatment, the Africans' non-Jewishness, quote, threatens the social fabric and our national identity. Hmm, all right. A lot of Muslims coming in and it's threatening Israel's social fabric and national identity and they're really scared of terrorism and increased crime. Huh. Still not, I'm sorry, I can't make that connection. Sometimes I need another coffee. Quote, while the government works to sweep asylum seekers off its streets and decant them back into the interior of the African continent, the vast majority of Jewish religious institutions and lay leaders in Israel have not made any attempt to aid the Africans. Rather, many have drummed up support for the government's actions and more have riled up their constituents to demand even more extreme action against them. Hundreds of rabbis on the state payroll signed edicts forbidding Jews from renting apartments to the asylum seekers, and some even issued verdicts of rodef, or death sentences, on those Jews who dare to do so. A rodef is a traditional Jewish law, um, allows for extrajudicial killing, killing of somebody who's been warned to stop something and refuses. Prime Minister Netanyahu commented, quote, If we don't stop their entry, the problem that currently stands at 60,000, about 2.4 million U.S. equivalent, could grow to 600,000, and that threatens our existence as a Jewish and democratic state. This phenomenon is very grave and threatens the social fabric of society, our national security, and our national identity. Wow. Migrants, immigrants, incompatible culture. With a history of violence between the two cultures. Oh, boy. I wonder if that could... Can't do it. I'm sorry, just can't get the plug in. Now, um, not only did Prime Minister Netanyahu of Israel build a fence around the African border, he's recently started to wall off the country from Jordan. Israel, of course, already has a high-security separation wall along its Syrian border. Now, I wonder if anyone in the West is lecturing, lecturing Prime Minister Netanyahu that, you see, refugees can, can come with ladders and they can climb over the wall. Or are they even reporting that the Israelis are building walls that seem to be effective in keeping illegal immigrants out whose culture is oppositional to the Israeli Jewish culture? Ha! Huh. I don't see a lot of that in the media very much. A recent Israeli government press release reported, quote, Today we see what is happening to countries that have lost control of their borders. The combination of very brutal terrorism, labor migrants, smugglers, and the loss of control in the face of the human tragedy that is taking place 360 degrees says that we must restore control and ensure Israel's control of its borders. And they do say, you know, that they empathize with the human tragedy. They want to extend help and foreign aid and uh, blah de blah de blah which, you know, I guess is nice, although foreign aid is really... Uh, just uh, creates uh, horrible hellholes uh, in the um, third world. But they say, but Israel is a very small country with neither geographic nor demographic depth, and we must control our borders. I mean, yeah, just try immigrating to Israel, uh, see how much fun it is. In 2013, when Jews from the former Soviet Union expressed the desire to immigrate to Israel, the Israeli government told them they could be subjected to DNA tests to prove their Jewish heritage. DNA tests. Everyone in the U.S. shocked and appalled at even the possibility of religious tests for immigration, genetic tests for immigration. Huh. Anybody reporting on that? No. 
Even though Israel is a wonderful and fantastic ally of the United States reportedly in the Middle East, well worth arming to the teeth and totally fine for it to have nuclear weapons, a wonderful beacon of hope and democracy in the Middle East, which I don't disagree with. If there was one country I had to live in in the Middle East, it would be Israel. But nonetheless, if it's okay for Israel, but really bad for white people, that's anti-white racism. Last uh, point or two, uh, in Israel, of course, only religious authorities are permitted to perform marriages. And they're not allowed to marry people of different faiths. You can have a mixed faith marriage, but you've got to get out of a civil ceremony abroad. There's no civil marriage in Israel, so anyone who's not Jewish in Israel cannot marry a Jew. Uh, and of course, in the West, gay marriage is a big thing about whether gays could get theoretical pizza at their weddings, which gays would never uh, order in any way, shape, or form. But this is uh, what's going on in Israel. Imagine if the U.S. government prohibited non-Christians from marrying Christian Americans. Have you heard about this? Probably not. See, they want to maintain their culture. They have a racial, cultural, genetic, in-group, tribal preference, which is kind of how evolution works. Now, if you're not outraged by now, put on your outrage helmet, because this is the worst of all. In 2013, the Israeli Health Ministry's Director General finally admitted that Ethiopian black Jewish immigrants who have been moving to Israel since the 1980s had been administered highly effective and long-lasting contraceptives without their knowledge or consent. This practice was ended in 2013, I guess because it came too light. So women who went to gynecologists would be said, oh, we're getting you this injection, maybe it'll help you get pregnant, and it was an injection that prevented them from getting pregnant for some months, and they were never told about it. Uh, that's obviously a violation of all medical ethics, the Hippocratic Oath, and basic legality. So basically, this is a horrifying eugenics program that was enacted by descendants of the Holocaust survivors who were targeted as part of the Nazi eugenics program. So just to put it in parallel, imagine this was the U.S. government forcing Alabama doctors to sterilize blacks. Well, now you see, Israel gets off the hook and everyone in the West becomes obsessed with potentially racial, racial microaggressions. Now, true to its past record, Israel has also refused to take in any Syrian refugees, despite numerous international calls for it to change its policy. See, Israelis, they want to preserve their national and religious identity. It's understandable why they wouldn't let foreigners into their country who are antithetical to their way of life. However, if Americans try to do the same, they're racist bigots and Nazi reincarnations. Zombie Marxists. Now, while Israeli Jews aren't willing to let anyone into their country, Jews worldwide are strongly pushing for Western countries to accept the refugees. More than 1,000 American rabbis signed a letter to the U.S. Congress that called for America to open its doors to refugees. You know, I get comments. I guess anybody who touches on uh, Gentile Jew issues gets comments about hypocrisy of Jews and destructiveness of Jews and so on. I resist that enormously. This does not help. <laughs> does not help this particular case. Uh, the, the Jews in Israel don't want multiculturalism. They don't want to take any Islamic refugees or refugees of any kind. But the rabbi, Jewish rabbis in America are signing a letter saying, open your door to refugees. Huh, what do they know that we don't know about maintaining your culture? I guess they've only been around for 5,000 years. What do they know about it? Different rules for different races is racism. If you attack whites for doing what Jews do and you suppress what Jews do, you are a horrible, racist, anti-white bigot. And you're relying on guilt and self-attack in white communities. Now, 
Excessive guilt and self-attack is called pathological altruism. It's kind of like a mental illness, and it's going to destroy the West. Like guilt and empathy is really, really healthy and helpful if you're among other people who have the capacity for guilt and empathy. It's a wonderful thing to have. However, if you're around, say, entitled narcissistic sociopaths, guilt and empathy are the weapons that they will use to destroy you. An excess of guilt and empathy is a sin and a crime. Guilt and empathy defines the progress and, to a large degree, the success of Western culture. Things like respect for women and minorities, tolerance for differences of opinion, separation of church and state, the vestiges of the free market, and so on. The West has created and generated and given this template for a successful society to the world as a whole. You know that old saying, the first pill costs $100 million, the second pill costs you 10 cents. Well, developing it took thousands of years in the West, but that template is available for any country and any culture that wishes to take it over. The West has done the hard work. They've been the icebreakers to get through to a free and peaceful society, and the rest of the world can follow suit or not. So just mind experiment time. Imagine some very empathetic, sensitive, and guilt-ridden person who decides to marry a sociopath. Imagine the exploitation, the manipulation, the predation on the part of the sociopath. The, The gentle person's empathy would be the weakness that would lead directly to his or her self-destruction. It's to be expected the Jews are going to help out other Jews, but how about whites helping out other whites? Is that not allowed? Because this white experiment of the last couple of decades of of saying, we're going to abandon any in-group preferences for for white people. Well, it's leading to the exploitation and self-destruction of the greatest societies the world has ever known. Whites are falling as a percentage of the world population, and it is pretty wretched and brutal, and it is a desperately bad idea to side with those who wish for your destruction and call it tolerance. It is not tolerance. Siding with people and having empathy for people who desire your destruction and subjugation, remember Islam means subjugation, is cowardice. It is a sin and a crime, and it is a squandering. It is a squandering of all of the gifts that have been provided by the sacrifices of those who came before us. We do not have the right to squander the gifts we have received from history, the freedoms we have received from history, the protections from the state that we have received from history. We do not have the right to squander it for the sake of self-congratulatory multicultural nonsense. People say, ah, well, you see, but that's not the real Islam. The real Islam is something different. You know, I heard exactly the same thing about communism back in the day. You'd look at all the communist shitholes around the world, all the gulag-laced Alexander Solzhenitsyn-style totalitarian dictatorship hellholes, and people would say, well, that's not real communism. Real communism is ha-ha-ha-ha. 50-odd countries around the world that are Islam, Muslim countries. What is it going to take, 51 or 52, for some people to sort of wake up and say, yeah, that's the real Islam. That's the real Islam. And the real Islam would put you and me to death. So get upset with me for fighting for life and freedom, but I'm going to keep doing it. And everybody knows, why do people pick on the Christians? Why do people submerge Jesus into urine and call it art in this pissed Christ thing? Why do people pick on Christians? Because Christians are nice. That's why people pick on Christians. That's why people assume that the Christians' uh, guilt and and self-examination and self-criticism and open-hearted enthusiasm for other cultures and so on, that that is going to be the weapon by which Christians are pried from the liberties that their ancestors fought, bled, and died to secure. And so it is a weird compliment. Whoever is attacked most in the world these days 
is kind of like a weird and twisted compliment that they are the nicest person. Because generally what people do when they come into a room is they figure out who has the most power, who is the meanest, who is the most cruel. They side with them and then attack whoever is the most self-critical. Well, that's enough of that. We've given this experiment a half century or more. Enough is enough. An excess of sympathy, an excess of empathy is a sin and a crime and it is pissing a lack of liberty and a toxic mess onto the very graves of the forefathers who fought, bled, and died to bring us those freedoms. Let us not shame the sacrifices of those who came before us for the sake of escaping mere words from liberals. Ooh, racism. Ooh, xenophobia. Ooh, Islamophobia. Well, no, I think it's more like beheadophobia or not wanting to not breathe a phobia. So that is the reality of where things are. Thank you so much for watching. This is Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. I'll talk to you soon.